what do you think makes what do you think makes your job or your position a professional one like what makes you professional oh let's go let's fucking go i just nigga that was my speech (laughs) (laughs) like what makes you professional and why why i'm just about to pull up my speech from graduation yeah that was my speech because it's crazy because people think teachers like yes it's a job that you have to have and people are like well you know you could be an elementary school teacher as long as you graduated from high school so on no, and so forth you can't like, no you can't if you it doesn't work like that no you can't step into a classroom and teach no no you can't you don't understand lesson plans you don't understand how the school works you don't how the understand system works. standards so you don't. A, right so there's a specific <laughs> set of things that we need to identify as professions because not all jobs are professions, but they can be no, given the right structure. I, I think, think with, with, no, no, I don't think, I mean, all jobs, I, I think it, it depends. Um, that's a good question. That's really, that is really a good question. What makes a, what makes a job a profession? Mm-hmm. In the army, they talk about it all the time, but the profession of arms, right? Right. And you have to be professional because you do these certain things, and they say the comparable other professions are being a doctor or doctor, a lawyer, a lawyer, you or know, an architect, right? Or, but those know. aren't the only professions. And when we pigeonhole it, when we only talk about those jobs as being professions, we throw out stuff like teaching. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it. One, teaching was teaching. Think about all those jobs you just named, and two, including military. To be honest, up up until even even they, they teaching is looked at as a woman's a, a job that women do, right? Like if you're a woman back back in the day, like if you were a woman, you were either going to be a nurse or a teacher. Yep. Not a doctor. Not a lawyer. If you were going to be in law, you were going to be somebody's clerk, right? Or a paralegal, right? So. I think you know you're you're in a they were an assistant to the professionals. That was it. Yeah, I, I think I think what these 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 professions that got the title professions. I honestly what I would argue are stem from, um, you know, patriarchy and the idea that you know only jobs that were initially for men are considered professional. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and I think I don't know. Yeah, this show uh, you watch, have you watched The Handmaid's Tale? I haven't, but I heard of it. The Handmaid's Tale is literally just the reversal of everything we currently have. So racially, oh, it's like- it seems a little more. It's different than what we have now, but when it comes to the division between men and women, um, it's it's spot on. Because you, like, it's not far fetched to believe that if the right people were in power, that we could live in a world similar to that. What was your speech about? Like, tell everybody what your speech was about. I, I wouldn't um, say read it, but no. Nah, so no, nah, I, I just talk about uh, specifically like being um, a profession that con- that requires constant practice, constant self reflection, reevaluation, reassessment. Um, of the context in which you teach your mindset and your skills, right? Like, when you think about doctors, like, doctors have to constantly stay up with the latest research. They have to constantly stay up with the latest procedures. 
the latest. Um, they have to publish. They have to do research. Yeah. They're of their yeah. own. Exactly. You know, teaching is the same fucking thing. Like an effective teacher does the, all of those things. Um, an effective teacher is, is constantly being critical of their practice. They're constantly doing research. Um, the collection of qualitative and quantitative data, right, to inform their practice. Um, a teacher has to constantly reassess skills and the, the and strategies that they use in a classroom to reach students, right? Like, um, there's so much that goes into being an effective teacher. Now, let me let me be very clear. When I say when I when I say these things, I am talking about an effective teacher, a good teacher, a great teacher. Now, even a good teacher has to do those things. Like just a, a good teacher. If you are being a just uh, like a good teacher, you're doing those things. Um, and great teachers even go above and beyond. You know what I'm saying? So I mean, that's that's really what what. And I like that was the first part of my speech, like because. You know, when I was, I, I'm speaking to a bunch of, I was speaking to a bunch of teachers who are getting their masters, who know this already, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like the, the idea was just to remind them that it's like, you know, society will will tell them and make them feel that like what they do doesn't have. And like, that's what I was getting at, uh, that like, this is a profession um, and you are doing work that matters and like your profession matters. Right. That was like the first that was the first part of my speech that I like hit on. Okay. And the second part was just, you know, I I honestly and wholeheartedly wholeheartedly believe in um, teachers. Teachers are like frontline activists. Oh, yeah. You know, like like to teach in a system that like constantly Tell students that they are not worthy, and then you step into that system and do the opposite of what that system is designed to do. Like that is that is revolutionary, right? Like teaching is revolutionary. What do you mean? What do you mean by for the right reasons? What do you mean by the system that teaches students that they are constantly not worthy? Right, like this. That's that's what the the system, right? The system, education system as it stands. Right is um, is a system of oppression, just like any other system in the United States. Like why? If How you, so? If if you look at like the curriculum is of the mainstream, right? It's made for the average, especially for for kids of color, right? Um, and kids from low income communities. Uh, like the the curriculum is of the mainstream. Um, it tells of white heroes, and it only talks about. Um, and this is on average, it only talks about, um, you know, other cultures as an, an addition to American culture, not as part of American culture. It's like, yo, let me tell you about the forefathers. Oh, by the way, like they're, you know, somewhere. You know what I'm saying? You see what I'm okay. like, that's, yeah. that is the curriculum, right? Like, and for African-American students for latino students it's very seldom that they see themselves in this curriculum or they see their history portrayed accurately in this curriculum so like that in of itself is 
a system that is oppressive because it's a system that is telling students that like they don't exist or they don't matter you know what i'm saying like as a student if i'm seeing if i'm seeing a curriculum that is void of people who look like me it leads me to believe that people who look like me had no contribution you know what i'm saying they have no history in this great big world we currently live in yeah you see what i'm saying so like if you're a teacher and you're stepping into a classroom and you're like if you are doing the work to make your 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 lessons and your curriculum culturally responsive to represent the students in which that curriculum is being delivered to like you are you're you're doing something revolutionary because that's not what the system wants you to do it's not what it was designed to do you see what i'm saying there's research that says that students who um who who receive culturally responsive um curriculum content lessons and, and have teachers who you know embody the mindsets of a culturally responsive teacher their achievement is higher. It, it makes it makes psychologically it makes sense because if you were to teach someone about themselves essentially, about their own people and people that look like them, along with that of other cultures and peoples, doesn't it make more sense that they now have more knowledge and will function and understand yeah. and perceive their environments but better? Just just off of like face value, you got students are more engaged, like. If you're talking about people and, and like, don't ever get it twisted. Our our kids are fucking intelligent as fuck, bro. Like, like they're like you 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 like people don't give our kids enough credit. They are intelligent. They are some woke young bulls. Like, they're super smart, right? Like and like they they are and they know when. I mean, like, this doesn't matter. Like, why am I, why are you telling me about this? Like this, what does this have to do with me? Like literally, like the, like kids will say that, like, what does this have to do with me? Right? Like, why, where are all the black authors? Why are we only reading about white people? Right? Like kids know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So when you get a teacher that, you know, show, gives lessons that like, is reflective of everyone and not just black kids, right? But Latino kids and not just Latino kids, but kids who identify as LGBTQ, right? Um, Like kids who, uh, when they make their, their lesson accessible to all students, students who have ADHD or um, a, a learning disability, right? And those students are still able to be involved, right? Like that is, as revolutionary because the, the 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 system is designed for the average the average student the average with what they call right the, the average person average american I, still, I think that's still relatively a, new too within the last two maybe three generations um i think the students have begun to in a way demand that information and that knowledge by asking that simple question what is the hell is what does this have to do with me like why why should i care about this previously i feel like it was like i'm telling you this information as your teacher and you care because i tell you to care not because it actually means anything to the student or that the student needs to know it for any particular reason 
and now students are like give me the information that i want versus spitting something out to me that some white dude wrote in a textbook you know what's funny it's like a lot of um the work on like race identity culturally responsive teaching um has been done particularly by black black teachers and and more specifically by black women right dr uh gloria ladson billings um she's culturally responsive teaching in the brain um beverly tatum um like like black women have been doing like a lot of the leading research on like culturally responsive pedagogy um and student engagement and student achievement like so like i don't remember (laughs) i don't remember when i was in school like seeing a lot of people in the curriculum and in the lessons that represented me right and i i graduated i graduated I graduated high school in 2008, so I would argue that like some schools are getting better, but there are still a lot out there that are like in the middle. I think so. And I think the demand as well from the student is like, I don't need to just know about these other cultures and other histories during certain months of the year. Like don't plan your lesson plan to teach me just about black authors and, and artists and painters and musicians during February like that 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 it should be a regular part of the curriculum and if they were the best at their job at that point and that's why we want to talk about them then we can talk about them at any point during the year throughout the curriculum not just because it's Black History Month for instance yeah and um there's a guy who does research it's called his name is Paul Gorski he's done research on like uh it's a book called Reaching and Teaching Students in Poverty. And he has this thing called Multicultural Curriculum Transformation. And there are five stages of multicultural curriculum transformation, right? Um, stage one being like, you know, just the pure, like regular American history. White people were great. They founded the country. They did all these wonderful things. Like the founding fathers are amazing, right? Like you're at, which is your, Literally, probably, if you go to Texas and you pick up a history book, it, everything would be in stage one of Gorski's model, his framework, right? Okay. Then you got like uh, stage three is it's called curriculum of the mainstream, right? Um, where we talk about other people's cultures, but it's like a add-on, like kind of like you kind of like you said it's like you know black history month or women's history month or latino history month right it's like a it's like an add-on it's not yeah we're talking about it and we're having a conversation around it but it's only it's second to the the normal stuff they're talking about it because they feel like they should not because they really want to teach it and want the students yeah. to grasp then, it then you get it then you get into stage four which is integration like where you know everyone's culture is, is starting to be integrated into the uh the curriculum and you're starting to see more representation within the curriculum and then stage five is like really that's like social social justice and reform like you are, are really your curriculum is, is has a almost a social justice um foundation 
essentially, where everyone is adequately represented, discussed, talked about, right? We talk about the intersectionality of everyone's culture, identity, right? That's a curriculum that, that embodies that. You know what I'm saying? Most curriculums within the United States fall between a stage two and three. I would agree. I think, is, and is that only like middle school, high school curriculums? No, that's all curriculums. It's all curriculums. So even into colleges? Well, uh, so yeah, you said middle school and high school. I thought you were leaving out. You left out elementary school. Yeah, uh, yeah. I wouldn't. I can't. I can't speak uh, intelligently about higher education because that's not where I'm at. I'm in. I'm specifically in K twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you. It depends on the college, right? You go to a college. Really, professors have free reign, so it really depends on how that where that professor leans on what they what they're going to talk about. I think so. But I would I argue, I I would argue some, that if you, so you go to like a lot of PWIs, you find the curriculum of the mainstream, right? You know what I'm saying? I think you do. I think what happens though in college is they got all these electives that students can take. And some electives are going to get more play than others. And if electives not and an elective is not getting play, they take it out and replace it with something else. So a lot of those other parts of the curriculum that could be there to teach and instruct students about, you know, the diversity of the country and the world they just fall behind and they don't get used and so then you're stuck with basically a stage two curriculum in school but see the thing about like if you're thinking about this framework right that we're discussing stage five is a difficult a difficult stage to achieve right um and it's it's it oftentimes it's beyond the locus of the individual teacher's control because it takes more structural and systematic change to create a curriculum that is um, at a stage five that's really getting towards you know social justice and reform, right? Um, I find myself in an interesting position at my school because I have full reign of my curriculum. So like, I kind of am able to live in that stage five um specifically like with my eighth graders it's literally readings and social justice like i'm able to i'm able to live in stage five with my curriculum and my lessons every day um i would argue that with my 11th grade english class i'm i'm kind of living at a stage four um with with you know getting a little bit of glimpses of stage five but uh do you think there's is there is there pushback because a lot of social justice topics are very uncomfortable for some people to learn about to include parents to include other teachers and senior leaders within the school absolutely so like Uh, you get pushback a teacher a kid goes home and tells his mom what he learned today in your social social justice type class and their parents are like what he said that you know it's funny. I, I had so I had a parent last year that was not was just not pleased with my class. It was it is you know they were not pleased with my class. Like it was just they didn't um, they weren't a big fan of what I was teaching. Um, <laughs> uh, and they were vocal about it. Um, and the, the the student was also which is funny because the student was one of my favorite students because she was also. Uh, Right, like I could tell she grew up in a conservative home. Uh huh. 
conservative family. But, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, conservative family, right? So like she, everything that she believed, right, up until this point, more than likely was something that she learned or picked up or was influenced by her family, right? So yeah. when she come to class and I talk about different things, she'd be like, "Wait, that's not right." So I, I, I love her, but she like at first she wasn't willing to engage in discourse and debate and eventually like i told her i was like look if you i don't no one i'm not gonna allow anyone to disrespect you here I, you know say what you feel and say what you think and we'll have a conversation I, i'll let you know how i feel or what i think and i'll back up what i have or i'll back up my arguments and opinion with evidence and i ask that you do the same um and by the end of the year we were having like whole debates and she was bringing some real logic and argument and I, you know I'm, I'm coming with my shit too um but uh, although her parents didn't like the class I really do believe that she learned a lot in my class absolutely and I, 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 I honestly think that like I, I was able to um strictly through the presentation of facts um like Teach her a couple of things, um, and she was able to see things a little differently, um, different perspective from a different perspective. Okay, so not not necessarily a different topic, but kind of a change in gears. Um, what are your thoughts on? Because in my my opinion, after turning twenty nine this past year, mm-hmm. experiencing life in many different ways, think that learning through dialogue and experience has done way more for me than necessarily sitting down and reading a textbook like reading articles and information and and publications and and studies has been a huge part of my learning but that wasn't necessarily from school in my mind i think if Mm -hmm. schools had more discussion dialogue debate type information sessions and knowledge sharing from learned experiences Mm -hmm. students will walk away with a lot more because they're learning from not just the instructor and the teacher but every single other student in the class as well so i also so i also teach uh graduate students right so um like i'm i'm a uh graduate teaching assistant um a grad school and Adult learners, uh, what I found is that when they are able to embrace discomfort, the growth is tremendous. Like exponential. You know, you know, like like you when you are, um, you know, we all have these implicit biases that we we don't know we hold, or we have yep. some you know, some biases that like we don't know we hold, right? Yep. Like we have some overt biases, right? Um, making the decision to embrace discomfort right like allows a person to grow so much right stepping into that discomfort around these conversations and listening to people's experiences and not talking just listening to people's experiences um and hearing it firsthand and how they felt and how this makes them how this how this makes them feel what they have to go through right like you're you're able to learn so much and if you it, it takes a lot of work right like it does. You also you also got to do work to unlearn these 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 mindsets that you hold or these biases that you hold. But like, I think that conversation and dialogue is one of conversation and dialogue around like you know, these really tough topics and these um, 
he's really like controversial issues is one of the, the best way to learn um honestly like and and and, and to switch it back right like i said i, I, I talked i'm talking specifically about my like my uh grad students right that i work with but um my my kids my babies right my eighth graders it's having conversations and dialogues with, with them right like specifically like i want I, I think like one of the one of the, the uh the uh my favorite conversations last year was around immigration we did a socratic seminar on immigration i had a couple students who were um you know were immigrants in this country and were able to get their perspective firsthand right like because up until that point most of most of my students like you know they heard about immigration and donald trump but like they, uh, the they never really they yeah, like they, but they never like they they don't they, it's not they real. can't they don't tie it's not real because they they don't think I don't this is actually Mexico I don't know any immigrants to this country uh-huh. so like it doesn't affect me and then for them to sit down in a circle with students in the classroom that they didn't really think were immigrants to this country and had family who had been deported and friends who had been deported or parents who had been deported and to sit there in a circle and listen to people share their experiences like you know really is that's a that's a shaping experience right we as an, an, a, a really big opportunity to learn and grow right yep um, you can only get that by having a classroom setting that enables that because you will yeah I, I can't lecture that shit no right <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, can't lecture that shit right like no you got to be able you those are the, like type of things you got to be able to do like it has to be interactive students have to talk students have to feel safe to talk feel, students have to mm-hmm. they have to um feel comfortable it needs to be a safe space in a classroom like and and not just for 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 other students but the students need to feel safe around the teacher right like yep. um if i'm just this authoritarian figure in the classroom that like uh, everything i say is right this is what I say is wrong is wrong and there's no if ands or buts about it. Like what who the fuck is gonna feel safe in an environment like that? Like you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so I just it's crazy because I just did so my master's class that I'm in now, it's about organizational development and institute organizational change. But this week's topic specifically was on creating a psychologically safe environment. An environment that enables dialogue and that brings people into a space where they're comfortable with sharing their personal thoughts and opinions and don't feel like they're going to get catch backlash for it, that they're going to be ostracized for it, that it's going to be received, listened to and understood. And then dialogue can be generated around that. And so we all develop change and we all grow from it, not necessarily just you know they go into this room and they don't want to talk because they don't feel psychologically safe to share what they're actually feeling yeah and that's real bro like that's why i like you know the first the first couple weeks of school like teachers spend like building relationships like just Mm -hmm. you know building relationships with students you know making them making them feel comfortable making them feel safe like i don't even i don't even get into any type of content the first week of school like we not talk about content we just talk about talking about us let's let's talk about our identity right like what what parts of your identity 
do you, you know, really think about the most? What parts don't you think about? Let me tell you about like parts of my identity that I think about the most. Let me tell you where I came from, like my my struggles and obstacles in life and how I've been able to make it here. And then let me, let me hear what you have to say, right? Tell me your why, why are you here? What are your goals? Mm-hmm. What do you want to do, right? Like- and active listen, off, actively off, yeah. listen. And then listen, listen to respond. Like, Bro, look, look at this stuff. When I see here, I, I got, it's funny because I just told you before I started recording, I'm grading, right? I'm sitting here looking at identity wheels that my students did to see like, you know, what they they think about. And I'm sitting here reading, you know, papers about like, what are some key events that have taken place in your life? You know, like how these events shape you to be the person you are today. Like that's, that's what we do on day one. Like that's what I'm talking about. Like I'm trying to figure out like, who are you? And I'm gonna let you know who I am. Mm-hmm. Like, this is gonna be a fun, safe place where we like really have some some conversations, but we're learning from each other. This is a collaborative effort. I'm learning from you just as much as you're learning from me and the next student and the next student. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's real. But they, they got to. And what's crazy is that I'm a firm believer in. I don't think that adults should tell kids what they can or can't do based off of some preconceived notion that they're too young to understand blah or they're not ready to hear or get this type of information like like my son is three now but he's been able to dress himself since he was two one and a half two years old like he can go into his drawers pull out his clothes match them up how he wants them and dress himself completely and then people are like well how does he do that? He's three years old. It's like, what do you mean? I showed him how to do it a couple times. And now it's like, Josh, go get dressed. And he does it because there was no preconceived notion that, oh, he's just a baby. He can't do those things. Like, no, nah, kids are smart. And if that's the only thing they know, then that's what they will do. But if they're used to being dressed or being told how to think or what to think, they'll never actually go out and do it on their own because their expectation now as they've grown up is to just be given that information. That's real. Like they, they, like you said, these kids are smart. Okay. They, they know and they understand sometimes the, the deeper comprehension behind things they may not get, but that can be access and that knowledge can be gained through dialogue and conversation you'd be surprised at some of the conversations that i have with 13 and 14 year olds like i i'll be honest some some of my some of my eighth graders and my ninth graders can have a deeper i can have a deeper conversation with some of them than i can with some of these adults out here and i like that's hands hands down like i'm i'm real and they think it's they're, they're younger and they haven't been in this system where they are programmed like some of the adults have been? I think, I think that, you know, that might have something to do with it, right? Like, it, that depending on, like, you know, the education that they've gotten up to the point that they, until they've met me, right? Like, if it's, has it been an education that, like, has required them to, like, think critically, you know um be able to you know do research and find out facts and information on their own um and then analyze that to figure out what's what's factual and what's bullshit you know what i'm saying like 
I think that has something to do with it. I think like some schools are getting better at like creating like critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. I like students who are critical thinkers as opposed to students who can fucking obey directions and fucking walk in a straight line and talk the entire class and just sit there at a desk with their hands crossed. So they're staring at a board, taking notes. You know what I'm saying? Schools are getting better at teaching kids how to think and not necessarily what to think. I think some schools are getting better at teaching kids how to think and not what to think. I think that like some schools are getting there. And you got to remember that like in the grand scheme of things that, you know, these districts and as a whole are still part of a larger system whose you know, it, 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 it sole purpose is to, you know, maintain status power, quo. power, control in the status quo. So, you know, like some schools are able to do that. Some some school leaders are able to make sure that those things are happening in their schools. Not all. Okay. Well, thank you for. Um sharing your profession i think we got a lot out of that one yeah now, yeah absolutely now check I, me out you know because um i'll be i'll be uh if you want to hear me speak more on the topic of education uh i'll be speaking at edfest in philly hosted by the black male educator convene um i have a session on that saturday which what? is October 18th through the 20th. Can so we can we get a recording there. or a live stream or something? I might I might I might record it. I'm I'm also speaking at a panel um in North Carolina coming up uh September what's that September I think it's the 21st uh, North Carolina um the values based leadership retreat. I'll be speaking at a panel there. So you know if you want to hear more I'm I'm around Absolutely. I think you're going to have to start your own podcast. Nah, I ain't starting my own podcast. <laughs> I do enough. <laughs> I got three jobs, dog. <laughs> mm. Nobody got time for that. I, got, I, I do enough. I don't have time for another podcast. <laughs> Getting get to this one is hard enough. <laughs> well, Demo, what? So we're... we're we're talking mm-hmm. about today what um what makes what you do a profession because i would i would consider all of our jobs to be professions and so what we've kind of talked through and discovered is that one not all professions are always looked at as being professions um and one not, of those i'm is, not a profession i teaching. don't have a profession you, you <laughs> <laughs> i would consider you a professional at this point I'm not a professional, bro. All I do is sit around and listen to people, bitch. That's not a profession, bro. I'm just a professional, like, <laughs> listener. Like, that's not, I'm not a professional, bro. I'm not. Well, why not? What why makes not? my job a professional is that, uh, or makes my job a profession is that I can bill your insurance for it. That's that's why. Oh, <laughs> well, damn. I'm done with him, yo. Can we? <laughs> like, what? Can he back? go back? Can you go back on mute, up, folks? <laughs> can, he, can you put him back on mute, man? 
Bro, I just bill your insurance. Why are you why are you here? What? Bro, that's what I do. I'm confused. What? I'm confused. Well, I just felt like you gave him all that inspiration, so I just had to bring us back to reality. (laughs) (laughs) Too much inspiration. Why you out here trying to like start the revolution? We got a Harriet Tubman movie, so I had to bring us back to reality, bro. Well, I'll say I think what you do is a profession, but you know, to each his own. I think it's just, bro. I think that it's just. I think it's one of those things like teaching is like I think it's more defined. You know what I'm saying? Because like what you're doing, you can kind of see a direct correlation most of the time to like what happens next. Like he teaches these kids, he can see their growth, right? And like you can see arguably through standardized testing quote oh, unquote don't get me so, no, yeah, no, no it doesn't, it doesn't standardized really measure, testing but, <laughs> I know it doesn't really measure but I mean that's how they that's, that's generally how the education system tries to like measure that's how they try to measure it but you know it's not a fair you gotta take the gotta take the holistic approach you know what I'm saying like, the whole child but like being fair to the social work profession I think that we do see progress in like the way that our clients manage their life, but like you really don't know if you're effective or not. Why? Like, Is it because you don't see them often enough? No, even if I see them often enough, like you don't know. It's just like anything. Like you, if somebody, like, think about that friend that comes to you all the time and tells you about their problems and tells you how shitty their girlfriend or their boyfriend is, but they still stay with them. Like, you giving them advice is not changing their life in any kind of way. <laughs> they're just bitching to you and you're giving them advice and they're doing the opposite. That's social work. Like literally people come to me with problems and I give them solutions and they do like maybe 10% of the things that I told them to do. And so like sometimes I can see a direct correlation to like the conversations that we had, the interventions that I've had with them, whatever. And I can see the progress in their life. Um, I had clients back when I worked at the middle school that I'm sure that what I did with them is going to impact them as an adult, but as a child, I saw no difference. Isn't, isn't that part? Isn't that part of it though? Because it's not a we know mental health and social work is not always a short term. It's not a short term thing. It's not, and that's what's like so. So for you, it's frustrating, but for that individual, I mean, it it likely does help. Yeah, it's no, it's no instant gratification, right? Yeah. Well, um, we're coming towards the end of this week's episode. So, do you guys have any unpopular opinions this week? Absolutely. Hit me. Oh, you said that I had to say it? I didn't know that I had to say yeah, it. That's, that's the second part of it. Oh. I don't think Dave Chappelle said anything that was really that offensive. <laughs> Shit. Did you see that uh, there was an article that came out about Dave Chappelle? So if anybody, you guys don't know, Dave Chappelle put it on another stand-up uh, on Netflix. Can't remember what it's called. Oh, it's called Sticks and Sticks and Stones. Um, mm-hmm. And he talked a, he talked a lot about the LGBTQ community and gays and lesbians and. Hold on, for the record, though, he has said some really horrendous shit about trans women and men. So I completely understand you guys being upset because he's already being canceled. But like, this is mild compared to the other shit he said. This is very mild compared to the other shit he said, and has done in skits. 
Um, but he said all that stuff and he was kind of being so facetious in, in the stand-up. But he's also being like, from his point of view, like everybody's upset about it. And like, why? Which proves his point. Exactly. And literally, like not a week later, there was an article published about how um, the LGBTQ community is is kind of petitioning Netflix to say, take it down off of Netflix. And he's like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what he's talking about. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was hilarious. <laughs> The, Ooh, I don't know about the, that. I don't know about the, 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 the skit about like the all the alphabets no, in the car. I'm talking about the whole thing. Oh yeah, the stand-up was hilarious. I'm talking about the whole thing. Like it was, it was, it was funny. I thought it was funny. There was, was some. I mean, I think, I think we had this conversation before about like comedians and like what what can you know where where does the line get drawn for like comedy and then like you know real shit and i just feel like i think dave Chappelle has made some of the most like prominent and memorable sketches of our generation and like stand-ups as well like i don't know i thought it was funny i like huh i think he said some stuff on this stand-up that wasn't funny I, overall i think it was okay I yeah think overall was, overall i thought she was good his stand-up did he say shit that i i do I, so i'm be honest we started talking about michael jackson i was a little like well bro where you going with this but i even laughed at that shit you know <laughs> he said he said mike he said he didn't think mike did it and then he's like yeah. if mike did <laughs> but he also, now my favorite my favorite joke was uh no for for real for real uh was uh when his uh impersonation of the founding fathers oh. <laughs> <laughs> look you can fuck up one thing in your entire life hurry up and write the constitution nigga. Wow. True. America. <laughs> Either way, y'all should, y'all should go watch that watch that stand up. It was I thought it was good. I thought it was good. So you say you got a uh, an unpopular opinion? Um, fuck Popeyes for taking a damn chicken sandwich off the menu. Did you know it was only a summer fucking thing? It was, it was like a limited time only deal. It wasn't even supposed to be permanent. Yeah, so I fuck Popeyes for that. Well, they 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 burnt through a lot of chicken breast in those few months a lot of yeah, man how you gonna tease me with this bullshit and then take it off the goddamn menu you gonna tease me with this greatness really and then take it off the menu popeyes i never had one you I never got to have one. i'm a little upset now that is gone like what i can't go back and get one are you serious like what what kind of they did they, they tom foolery there was an outbreak of salmonella tracked back to uh some of popeyes chicken sandwiches that's crazy. Uh, man. That's because they were undercooking them to try to meet demand. They were cooking them too fast. They were trying to cook them when you when you got eighteen cars in line around the street and around the corner and you try to cut off a couple minutes on the deep fry and that's what happens. Okay? <laughs> Salmonella. Really not wrong. If these niggas right. are lightning your lobby, you're gonna hand them a undercooked fucking sandwich. Yeah, you will. You will you get 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 Take them out the deep fry. They only been in for two minutes. They got 12 more to go. Take them out now. We got to get the chicken sandwiches out. Get them out. 
Nah, I think somebody did it on purpose so that mm. they wouldn't have to work as hard no more at Popeyes. None of the chicken mm-hmm. sandwiches gone. Well, my unpopular opinion this week is um, I'm I'm over Kanye's Sunday service. You're over it? Like, it's cool, it's great and all, but um, I'm ready for some some more production by Kanye. Some more music. Mm-hmm. Like, if he's making albums out of this using this massive choir that he's got, perfect. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep it going. But, like, come on. I'm I'm over it. Opinion is for real. What? Minaj is retiring and no one gives a shit. Who? I'm sorry. Say again. Nicki Minaj is retiring from rap. She wants to start a family. And retiring from what? From rap. She said that, but I don't know if she's really gonna like retire. Retire. Retiring from rap. Did, did she? Does she have? Does? Do they get four hundred one k's for that? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. Is it, like, is it like stripping? Like when you retire, you get a four hundred one k. Oh, you have to ask Hove. He's the only person to ever do it. Right, Hove was the yeah. only person. I to ask do it. Question. Out of retirement. 